Another consequential week in Washington, with President Trump responding to the controversy over his comments on the coronavirus, as the Biden campaign steps up its criticisms of the president. Today, we're one-on-one -on -one with the former VP in Pennsylvania, and we'll look at the reaction from across Indiana, plus State Senator Jim Merritt on his decision to step away from the State House, and why some are calling for a new process to replace retiring lawmakers. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Good morning. A lot of news this week from the campaign trail, including the controversy over the president's recorded comments on the coronavirus earlier this year. I wanted to uh, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. I didn't lie. What I said is we have to be calm. We can't be panicked. He knowingly and willingly lied about the threat it posed to the country for months. Now, tonight, Bob Woodward will appear on 60 Minutes on CBS 4 to discuss the controversy and those recordings of President Trump. Now, the same day this news broke, Governor Holcomb was asked about the controversy at his weekly coronavirus briefing. While he didn't mention the president or this controversy directly, he did say this. And I'll, I'll say today what I said, I think the very first time we gathered in the um, atrium when someone asked me how I would characterize this um, virus that was months ago and I pointed to my right and my left I think to a couple doctors and I'll continue to here in the state of Indiana um, rely on physicians and scientists and uh, epidemiologists to to give me all the right counsel before we make any decision but we'll never we'll never downplay it here more reaction from Indiana politicians. Pete Buttigieg said people in countries whose leaders told them the truth about COVID didn't panic. They responded. And as a result, far fewer of them died, said Buttigieg. Senator Todd Young told Importantville's Adam Wren, quote, I'll leave it to others to analyze the president's words in February. I'm focused, Young said, on how to get relief to Americans now. On that topic, a Republican relief bill failed this week in the Senate. Senator Young presided over that vote. On this vote, the yeas are 52, the nays are 47, three-fifths of the senators duly chosen and sworn not having voted in the affirmative. The motion is not agreed to. That's Senator Young reading the final vote on the GOP's $500 billion spending measure in the Senate. Both Senator Young and Senator Mike Braun voted for the bill. It needed 60 votes to pass the Senate and head to the House. Democrats say the bill didn't provide enough relief to the American public. They've proposed $2 trillion in spending. The Democratic-led House passed a $3 trillion bill back in May, but the Senate is not expected to vote on that legislation. All right, earlier this week, presidential candidate and former VP Joe Biden was on the campaign trail in Pennsylvania, where he spoke with Dennis Owens from our Nextar affiliate there about the race for president, the economy, and the fight against COVID-19. Hey, Dennis, how you doing, bro? I'm well. A congenial Joe Biden felt right at home in a union headquarters. I'm union from belt buckle to shoe sole. They're the only power that can take on the abuse of power of corporate America. I've been a strong supporter of unions my entire career. Joe Biden said he's absolutely on board with defunding the police. Biden says despite ads to the contrary, he would not defund police. In fact, he'd give them more and add social workers. But how would he pay for that and a ballooning deficit? By raising taxes on those making more than $400,000 a year. Right now, what's happening? You're paying a heck of a lot more tax than someone making a billion dollars in many cases, where they're able to avoid almost all their taxes. That's just simply wrong. It's not punishing anybody. It's just saying, 
corporate America as well as the super wealthy just pay their fair share. Biden says he would have embraced mask wearing and social distancing much more quickly than President Trump. He needs to set the worst example for the American public that could possibly be set. And all he cares about, he's been frightened from the very beginning. If he dealt with the pandemic, he was worried the stock market would not climb. So if he says everything's okay, don't worry about it. That's all. That's the only measure he's used, period. If he wins, Biden at 78 would be the oldest president at swearing in. President Trump has suggested he's lost a step. Look at how he steps and look how I step. Watch how I run up ramps and he stumbles down ramps. I promise you, I would not be running unless I was in very good health. I work out every morning and I am in relatively good shape, as my mother would say, knock on wood. All right, meantime, Biden was at the 9-11 ceremony on Friday, where he met up with current Vice President Mike Pence, sharing an elbow bump on 9-11 in the midst of this contentious campaign. We'll talk more about the race for president with our panel coming up. Meantime, at the State House, lawmakers are discussing plans to convene in January with new coronavirus guidelines in place. The House could meet in other locations near the State House, while the Senate will spread out within the Senate chamber. Also this week, we learned a longtime state senator will step away from the legislature next month. We spoke with State Senator Jim Merritt this week about his decision to retire after nearly 30 years in the State House. There's a lot of things I want to do with my life that um, the, the, the schedule and, and the grind and the, and the necessary uh, time that it takes to be a state senator. Uh, and I think it's time to have a fresh voice. Merritt also ran for mayor of Indianapolis last year. Senator Merritt's retirement and other recent departures are again raising a question about the way state lawmakers are often replaced, not at the ballot box, but with a committee of party insiders, precinct committee men, as they're known. Kayla Sullivan spoke with party leaders on both sides and with a group that wants to see changes in the way this process plays out. If you think this process is wrong, if you want to have more of a say in who represents you in the state house, ask your legislator to look at this problem. Right now, more than 20% of the Indiana state legislature got their positions from a private party caucus. Indiana voters weren't involved. That's a pretty high percentage of the overall number. Common Cause Indiana says this process gives the caucus chosen replacement an unfair incumbent advantage in the next election. It is the exception and certainly not the rule that challengers defeat incumbents in Indiana. Like State Senator Tim Lannon, who got his position during a caucus back in 1997. He's now Indiana's Senate Minority Leader. Another example is Victoria Sparts. Common Cause Policy Director Julia Vaughn points out she was caucused into the state Senate in 2017 and is now a Republican nominee for Congress. She's a textbook case of how you can quickly acquire power uh, even though you attained that position without voters' approval. Indiana's Republican chair Kyle Hupfer says the advantage doesn't outweigh the cost of a special election to replace a seat holder. It's very difficult to, to run a special election. The other piece is that, you know, turnout in special elections, you know, if you look, you know, across the spectrum is extremely low. 
Um, people aren't used to it. It is not costed as our, our prohibitor. We are interested in making sure that the right to vote is expanded. Though neither state party took an official stance on this process, both say they're open to review. From the Indiana State House, I'm Kayla Sullivan. All right, coming up next this Sunday in focus, some interesting polling numbers in the race for governor. We'll talk with our panel about that straight ahead. Also, we're looking at the race for Congress in the 7th District with Congressman Andre Carson seeking re-election. His opponent holding a press conference this week. We'll hear from her straight ahead. All right, time to bring in our panel now. Jennifer Wagner, Pete Seat, Importantville's Adam Wren, and Abdul Hakeem Shabazz from IndiePolitics.org, which put out some new polling numbers this week. We'll get to those in just a minute. But first, this race for president, Jennifer. What do you think is the impact of what we heard this week on those tapes from Bob Woodward and President Trump? Well, gosh, Dan, I'd like to think it was a profound impact that the American public would watch that, listen to that and wake up and go, oh, my gosh, uh, our president knew about this deadly virus and swept it under the rug, lied about it because he didn't want to, quote unquote, create a panic. But then again, I also thought last week, you know, he said all these things about veterans and, and, and members of our military. And is that going to be the thing that pushes people over the edge and makes them realize that he's a narcissistic monster? And it doesn't ever seem to make a difference, but it should. Pete, will this be difficult for Republicans to defend? Well, if there's any impact, I think the impact will be negligible. You know, opponents of the president will certainly have another arrow in their quiver. Uh, supporters of the president are just going to brush it aside as a nothing burger. But I think what this really does, this particular episode of the reality show that is our lives, really um, illustrates America's Trump hypocrisy. You know, if he had said publicly what he told privately to Bob Woodward on these tapes, do we really think national media and Democrats would have believed the president? I mean, at the exact same time, you had Anthony Fauci, who people walk around town wearing his face on their T-shirts. He was saying it wasn't much to be worried about. Nancy Pelosi was in Chinatown in San Francisco telling people at that very same time, to come outdoors and patronize restaurants and spend money, but yet they were going to believe a president who they've been telling us for five years is a liar. I just think we need to be honest with ourselves when we assess this story. Adam, a lot of uh, Indiana angles, too, when you read through some of this uh, reporting in Bob Woodward's book, what we've seen of it so far. Yeah, I think two points that stand out to me is, number one, Indiana Republicans like Pete need to decide whether they support people like Dan Coats, who is apparently a source in the book and frequently mentioned positively throughout, uh, talking disparagingly about the president, or whether they believe uh, in, in President Trump, because both cannot be believed equally at the same time, uh, according to the book. And two, you know, the, the brutal uh, dismemberment and, and murder of the Indiana State University grad Jamal, uh, Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post columnist by MBS, uh, that is talked about uh, by the president in the book in a, in a very laissez-faire way. And even uh, Senator Young, uh, you know, who visited the kingdom just last September, uh, a year ago this month, and pressed MBS 
on the death of, of Khashoggi has been much more vocal about it than the president has. And so really it's it's a choosing moment for Indiana Republicans, I think, as to whether they, they want to go down the, the path of Trump or whether they agree with someone like Dan Coats or Senator Young. Well, and all of this happening, uh, of course, in the midst of this contentious election year, let's look at some of those uh, polling numbers uh, right now from IndiePolitics.org and Change Research. Uh, first, we're going to show you the numbers here in the race for president. Here in Indiana, President Trump leading Joe Biden 53-39. The president trailing in a lot of blue states and a number of swing states, but this poll shows him still ahead comfortably here in the Hoosier state. But the really interesting item from this poll that a lot of people have been talking about is the, uh, the race for governor. The polling numbers there show uh, Governor Holcomb, who had a big lead in uh, recent polls, this latest poll showing him ahead by just six points, 36-30, with a, a good chunk of his support in this poll, 24% going to the libertarian Donald Rainwater. We'll ask uh, the other panelists if they find these numbers credible in just a moment. But, Abdul, I'll start with you here. Uh, w were you surprised to see this in your polling? What do you make of this? Uh, the, the Donald Trump numbers, no, uh, not really surprised at all. The Governor Holcomb numbers, uh, yes, I was. And uh, the thing that surprised me the most was the, the number of uh, votes that sort of defected uh, from the governor to uh, Donald Rainwater. By my count, the governor lost like nine points and Donald Rainwater picked up 16 points. Now, uh, a couple of things. Our poll was an online survey. So if you get a little bit of a different uh, responder uh, than you would by telephone, but still, uh, it shows me that what I've been hearing anecdotally, particularly in the North and the South, about folks kind of not being happy with the governor's mask mandate is showing up. Now, the good news for the governor is he's still got two months to go and $8 million. And uh, you know, Woody Myers is trying to raise money in rainwater, folks I haven't heard back from yet. But uh, I still think at the end of the day, uh, the governor, that, that mask mandate is going to be a little bit of an issue and a problem for him, as this poll demonstrates. Pete, Republicans pointing to that online methodology and also calling this poll uh, a clear outlier in their words. How do you see this? You know, I I've, haven't seen something so wildly out of proportion with the actual facts on the ground in a very long time. And I'm old enough to remember the October 2016 poll from Monmouth University. Uh, mid-October, right before the election, that had John Gregg beating Eric Holcomb by 12, Evan Bayh beating Todd Young by six, and Donald Trump ahead of Hillary Clinton by only four. Of course, we know how that turned out. Eric won by seven, Todd by 10, and Trump by 19. So I, I don't think this particular poll is even in the ballpark, quite frankly. And I should point out, not only was it conducted entirely online, but this particular pollster that Abdul used is, uh, is a Democrat pollster. They are the official polling outfit of uh, Pod, Podcast America or Pod Save America, uh, which is run by a bunch of Barack Obama alumni. And 538.com gives them a C minus for their reliability and accuracy. So I think that probably tells you all we need to know. Jennifer, does, does this give Democrats any avenue in this race to, to, to try and make some noise, try, try and raise some money to have uh, Dr. Myers now down by six? Obviously, they put out a press release. Do they have any hope here of... Uh, dividing up the conservative uh, vote, as this poll seems uh, to suggest? I think there's always there's always hope. And, you know, I think I've said this before. I, I have tremendous respect for Dr. Myers. I think you make a great governor. Um, but the circumstances are what they are. And, uh, and not, not to not to also, you know, be a little storm cloud here. And I love you, Abdul. But, you know, I know you're uh, reporting to us from Vegas today. I would not place a bet on this poll. <laughs> I would not. I would place a bet on all the other polling that I've seen 
uh, public and private, that shows Eric Holcomb with a pretty substantial lead over Dr. Myers. Adam, how do you see these numbers? How are people reacting across the, the political landscape in Indiana? I think Pete's right. I think this is a C-minus pollster. Uh, I, I would say, though, that uh, you know, former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg used the same polling company to measure his support in South Bend. Uh, but I think really the biggest, the hardest hit person in this poll is former liberta libertarian gubernatorial candidate Rupert Bonham. Uh, the survivor candidate, because he only pulled 4%. And here, Rainwater, uh, a virtual unknown, is doing better than him. Um, so, you know, I, I don't put a lot of credibility in this. But if I have a bias as a journalist, it's toward novelty and conflict. And so Abdul has given us uh, a lot of <laughs> Uh, with this poll. Something so, to talk about here. Something to talk about. In the race for governor. A Abdul, um, let, let's talk about that, but also the, the numbers quickly on the AG's race from this poll showing uh, Todd Rokita up big, as you see here, 5135 uh, in the poll. Jonathan Weinzapfel did get an endorsement this week from uh, Republican State Superintendent Dr. Jennifer McCormick, uh, but you're polling here indicating that Rokita has a big lead in the race for AG. Uh, yes, and I think the Rokita is basically sort of the what we call the Indiana standard, uh, so to speak. Indiana is a very Republican, very conservative state. Uh, attorney generals tend to do have done very well for the past almost like 20 years, uh, and some change, particularly Republican attorney generals. So I think that is just sort of the the normal the the, the normal course of events. Now, what'll be interesting is to see uh, how many Republicans actually vote for Jonathan Weinzapple, because Todd Rokita is still not a very liked uh, individual in some Republican circles. So from that. It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. And uh, just a quick defense of my polling from my friends on the left and my friends on the right. Uh, nobody complained when Eric Holcomb was ahead 20 points uh, back in April before uh, the mask mandate and before uh, the pandemic. So I just thought I'd just make that abundantly clear. Hey, even if the, uh, they call your uh, your pollster a C minus, we still think you're an A plus panelist, uh, one <laughs> way or the other, right? Uh, what else stands out to you guys here as, as we uh, as we get closer to Election Day? Obviously, uh, Jennifer, a pretty big race in the fifth district, the congressional district that uh, Susan Brooks is retiring from. Where do you see that race here with a couple months till the election? Well, I think this is uh, it, everything I see. You know, yard signs don't vote, but uh, polling uh, is important. And everything I see is that this is uh, leaning more and more toward Christina Hale. And, uh, you know, our, it's hard. In focus could have been her start, right? We, we're going to have a, a congresswoman potentially uh, in our alumni ranks. It, we, we, who knows? We, all of you could be launched into future superstardom. Uh, Pete, your reaction on the race? Yeah, I mean, the, the 5th Congressional District is, is certainly uh, top tier because I feel like we know how the presidential race, the gubernatorial race, and the AG race is going to end up. That one's still a toss-up, but you've also got some state house races that we can't lose sight of. Um, in the state Senate, John Ruckel's house and Jack Sandlin have races right here in the Indianapolis area. There's some others up in Lake County and, yeah. and in the South Bend Elkhart area. So we really need to keep a close eye on those because those will determine uh, supermajority status, right. particularly in the state house. All right. Thank you all. We'll be looking at those races here in the weeks to come. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, we're looking at the race for Congress in the 7th District. Hearing from Congressman Andre Carson and his opponent, Susan Smith, after the break. Today we're looking at the race for Congress in the 7th District here in Indianapolis. Congressman Andre Carson running for another term. He has served in the House since 2008. I spoke with him last week about the politics of this ongoing pandemic. I think the process has become very politicized, unfortunately. I think that uh, when you have people suffering, uh, black, white, rich, poor, Republican, Democratic, Libertarian, uh, it doesn't matter. But the Trump administration has used this as an opportunity 
to divide people. All right, meantime, Carson's opponent, Republican Susan Smith, held a press conference this past week. She says if she's elected, she wants to focus on creating new jobs and better options for schooling while making neighborhoods and the city of Indianapolis safe. We need to start again to make us that model city where we saw many people from all over come to our city for conventions, for everything else. We need to bring back that model city. Carson is heavily favored to win re-election in a district that's been reliably Democratic through the years. Stick around. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers after this. Football's back today. You can watch the Colts Blue Zone on CBS 4 after Face the Nation. And it's the NFL today. And at 1 o'clock, the Colts and the Jaguars down in Jacksonville. Meantime, Fox 59 has Fox News Sunday, then a doubleheader with the Lions and Bears, followed by the Buccaneers and the Saints. All right, time to wrap things up with our panel. This week's winners and losers, the panel returning to make their picks. Pete, who had the best and worst week in politics? So winner, I'm going with the Indiana Republican Party. In recent days, we had two county sheriffs, a mayor, and a town council president, those latter two being from Lake County, switch from being Democrats to being Republicans because of what they're seeing on the national level with Democrats taking this leftward turn. Um, and loser, uh, I was going to say Abdul because of that gubernatorial poll, but Jennifer said it would be in poor taste. So <laughs> I'm going to go with the Indiana State Senate losing Jim Merritt, a valuable voice on a lot of issues. It'll be great to get some new blood in there, but he will be missed. He's been there a long time, no doubt about it. Jennifer, you're up next. Well, see, now because Pete did that, I have to say that Abdul's my winner for Adam's <laughs> reason, which is that he stirred the pot and shook things up, and now people are talking about the governor's race. And my loser on a more somber note is just kind of a reflection back on the fact that Friday was 9-11 and it's hard to believe it's been 19 years since that tragedy. Coming up on the 20th anniversary next year, Abdul. Uh, my biggest winner uh, actually for my poll is local police. Uh, we asked Hoosiers uh, what they thought. Uh, local police had a 71% approval rating. And my biggest loser also for my poll is the Black Lives Matters movement, 56% uh, disapproval rating here in Indiana. Adam, you get the last word. Yes, uh, my loser is Medicaid Chief uh, Seema Verma, uh, who spent thousands of dollars in a continued pattern of grift and swampiness uh, on a private party to improve her uh, profile. And my winner is Senator Todd Young, who recently vociferously disavowed the bizarre conspiracy theory QAnon and encouraged his fellow Republicans to do so ahead of the election. We covered a lot of ground today, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. There'll be much more ahead on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.